Bank earnings in the third quarter, where the S&P is going from here, and big news about the housing market, because this is where the money is. Hi, Fools. I'm uh, analyst Michael Douglas here with senior banking specialist John Maxfield. Uh, you may recognize my face and my voice from Where the Money is, the healthcare edition on Wednesdays. I'm, in fact, uh, with, with, with both teams now, financials and healthcare, so you'll hopefully be seeing quite a bit of me, and hopefully that'll be fun for everybody. But I'm here with John today, and we are going to be talking, first off, about bank earnings expected to rise in the third quarter. Now, that's a headline from the Wall Street Journal. Analysts are projecting that the six biggest banks will increase their combined net income by about $16.2 billion in the quarter ending September 30th. That equates to about a 21% year-over-year increase. John, where is this coming from? So what we're th- seeing here, Michael, is it's coming from three different sources. Number one, it's coming from loan growth, uh, it's coming from investment banking fees, and it's coming from higher revenue from trading. Um, so those three things are expected to fuel the increase. And you can see that in a breakdown of the banks that are really expected to do well. You have your Morgan Stanley's, your Goldman Sachs, and your Citigroup, which are your traditional Wall Street banks that have the largest year-over-year expectations of EPS growth. So for Morgan Stanley, it's 11%, Goldman Sachs is 8%, and Citigroup is 14%. Now, on the other side of the equation, you have your more traditional lenders, your Wells Fargo and your J.P. Morgan Chase. And while J.P. Morgan Chase does have a large Wall Street operation, it also, through its Chase um, branch, has very, very large uh, retail uh, operation through it, both deposits and loan making. And they're expected to grow by only 3%. Now, of course, at this point, we're still about a month away from the quarter being completed. So a lot of this depends on the trading activity in September. And traditionally, September is a relatively high uh, month for trading activity because that's when all the traders come back from their summer vacations um, to Wall Street. Gotcha. Now, it's interesting. The one bank you really didn't mention there was Bank of America, which, uh, you know, we've, they've had a lot of news lately, particularly the $16.65 billion deal with the Department of Justice. So tell us a little bit about the uh, expectations for its performance. Right. So Bank of America is the one exception of the top six um, that are expected to grow their earnings uh, this quarter. And in fact, it's expected to see its earnings decrease. And that is to the point that you just brought up the result of the $16.65 billion judgment, or not judgment, but settlement with the U.S. Justice Department and a group of other governmental agencies. Now, this is a bad thing for Bank of America, obviously, in the short run, because of what it's doing to its EPS this quarter. However, over the long run, this is, it looks like at least, the last large settlement that Bank of America faces. So after this point, it's going to basically clear the decks and be able to generate more EPS going forward. Gotcha. So definitely a, uh, an issue we'll be wanting to watch very closely moving forward. Thanks for that, John. Um, so let's, let's move on to our second story, and this is about the S&P 500. Uh, <laughs> Bloomberg, uh, our good friends over at Bloomberg, notes that the S&P 500 is beating the world the most since 1969. Um, it's, almost, it's returning almost six times as much as the broadest gauge of global equities this year and has kept that edge since the bull market began. And this is unmatched since 1969, which... For folks who are not as much, I guess, political history folks as, as we are, that was the year Nixon took office, so quite a long time ago. Uh, what explains this? What's going on here? Give us a story, John. Okay, so we have a couple of things going on here. Number one, um, if you've seen the news over the past few days, there's been a number of bad stories um, from overseas. Number one, Europe, you have the European Central Bank come out last week and say that they're going to flood additional monetary stimulus into the market. And that is always a sign of economic stagnation. So you have that going on in Europe, which is one of the principal equities markets in the world. Meanwhile, in Japan, which is another principal equities market in the world, what you have going on there is 
massive uh, decrease in GDP. So in the most recent quarter, its GDP fell by 7.1%, which is a really, really large amount uh, for a country on a year-over-year basis. So you have those things going on in the international sphere. Meanwhile, in the United States, while things are moving slowly, we are seeing an improvement. So that shouldn't be a huge surprise. Now, on the other side of the equation, what you see is huge increases in money or flow of funds into equity, into the equity market in the United States. So last year, we saw $157 billion flood into the equity markets in the U.S., and that was the highest rate since the internet bubble. So you have all that money flowing in on top of the fact that the United States economy is doing better than the other two principal equities markets in the world, and I think that's probably what explains the divergence between the S&P 500 and the international markets. Sure. Well, and what's interesting about that to me, though, is at the same time, you know, for the last six years, uh, funds that buy American shares have seen their cash uh, net pulled, Uh, and so you actually haven't seen necessarily maybe that much um, investment sort of over that time period in American equities sort of comparatively. then again, on the other hand, you know, when we're looking at a sort of a price-to-earnings valuation basis, I mean, this is one of the most highly valued markets we've seen in a very long time. Um, it's comparable to the, the Roaring Twenties, right before the Great Depression, of course. There was the Internet bubble, and of course, there was the housing bubble before the financial crisis. So on the one hand, you've got things that, okay, so if... Um, you've had a net outflow from American equities in, in a lot of instances over the last few years. Maybe that indicates there's more money that could potentially be spent there. On the other hand, when you think about uh, valuation being so high, that would seem to be maybe a more bearish indicator. So what should investors take from this, and, and sort of how should they react? So I would say that there are two things to keep in mind. Number one, over the last few years, to your point, we've seen a net outflow. But That isn't to be unexpected. If you go back to the past maybe 15 years, we saw huge inflows in 2000. We saw huge inflows in 2005 to 2007. We saw huge huge inflows in 2013. Now, what do those correspond to? Those correspond to our market peaks during those those three time periods. Okay, so now after those peaks, you're going to see an outflow, and this is a traditional average investor who is buying high and selling low because you're buying in when there's greed, you're selling out when there's fear. So that isn't a huge surprise. But the other thing to keep in mind is that while there has been a net outflow in American funds, and while that is particularly becoming an issue in 2014, that doesn't tell us how the, the funds within equities are allocated or within American equities are allocated. So when you look at the S&P 500, what is this? This is the 500 biggest, most profitable companies in the United States. So anytime there's anything going on in the world that you know, would reflect negatively on the economy, you're going to have money flowing into that sector. So probably what's, what we're seeing is, within American equities, a consolidation around the S&P 500. Gotcha. Well, that, uh, that certainly makes sense. <clears throat> so, so in terms of, you know, a lot of folks, of course, believe they can time the market um, and, and are looking at sort of these major issues, these major news pieces, and are saying, okay, you know, I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. Uh, What would you say to investors who are thinking along those lines? What I would say is that the data is unequivocal on the fact that for the average investor, timing the market is a losing proposition. Now, that being said, we know that if you're going to get into the market at any time, you probably shouldn't get into it while you're reaching new highs. So that, 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 that kind of cuts both ways. Now, what I would recommend to the average investor is just applying a simple strategy of dollar cost averaging into a low cost index that tracks, say, the S&P 500. So you buy the same 
dollar quantity of shares every month or every year, irrespective of what the market is doing. And that will take that timing equation, that timing element out of the equation, but it still allow you to benefit from the growth in the U.S. economy. Gotcha. Sounds good. Well, thank you, John. All right, so let's turn into the, the, the third piece. Um, and this is talking about housing and sort of why it hasn't recovered from the financial crisis. Um, now, John, you've done a, you've done a pretty in-depth uh, piece on this, so, so we'll certainly be talking about that a fair bit. But let's face it, you know, this month marks the unofficial six-year anniversary of the financial crisis, more specifically the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers in September 2008. Um, you know, since then, we've had more than 500 banks fail. We had the Great Recession, unemployment spiking to the double digits. Now it's about 6.1%. Um, and what's interesting is that one of the areas where we're really seeing a hangover in um, in the economy is sort of the reaction to this housing crisis. We're just seeing, you know, double-digit increases in home prices, but the markets are still very much a shadow of their former selves. And I would add to that, you know, the fact that... Um, you know, apartment starts are very much up, you know, 30, up 33% from June to July this year, according to our friends over at Bloomberg Intelligence, um, and uh, seasonally just about 423,000 units, still well above the pre-recession uh, average of about 300,000 units per month. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about home construction and new home sales to start off. Great. So, well, let me just, let me just touch on that, that point that you make yeah. about the multifamily um, construction, because this is a really fundamental point that tells a lot about what's going on in the economy right now. <clears throat> so what we've seen, you can break the housing market into two different segments. You have your single-family homes. These are just your homes that, you know, if you're lucky enough to own a home, it's just your standalone on a little piece of property. But then you have your multifamily developments. These are apartment complexes, condos, things like that. Well, since the, the Great Recession ended, or really since everything started with Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy, <clears throat> these two markets have diverged relatively significantly. On the one hand, you have single-family homes, which, is, which have tanked, both in the building of single-family homes and in the sales of new and existing single-family homes. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the equation, you have your multifamily developments, and those are your, your rental units. Those have soared. And the reason for this is that we're seeing home ownership rates decrease over the last few years. They've gone from something like 69% down to somewhere around 65% which is a significant amount of people when you consider how many, how many homeowners are in the United States. And, that, and that's what's being reflected right there in the divergence between your multifamily sales or your multifamily building and your single-family building. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so talking about building that, let's, let's talk first about uh, new homes. Okay, so, so just to give you an idea about how significant the housing market is to the United States, since 1950, the residential investment as a share of gross domestic product has averaged 4.7%. Last year, it was only 3.1%. And that equates to an annual shortfall of around $288 billion. Now, if, so if you were to add that back in, it's projected that economic growth would be growing by 4%, or economic growth would be about 4%, which is double the rate we've seen over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it would also add an estimated 1.5 million jobs to the economy. So this is a really fundamental issue for the U.S. economy. So what's going on in the housing market? So what we've seen is we've seen housing starts plummet over the last few years. And the question is, why is this happening? So if you think about it from your, like your economics 101 class, you have your, your demand on the one side and your supply on the, on the other side. Well, in the new housing market, the issue is demand. And that is for the simple reason that, well, two reasons, really. Number one, you have, like I said earlier, your home ownership rate is decreasing. And number two, you're ha- what you're seeing is it's harder to get a mortgage. And because most people buy houses with mortgages, anytime those standards increase, you're going to see a, a decrease 
in your new housing starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and actually they're below uh, below replacement and have been for a while now. You know, about seven hundred twenty-seven thousand a year. But you know, we need, as a, as you pointed out, about one point five million houses per year to sufficiently replace homes that are dilapidated, keep up with uh, population expansion um, and the like. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about existing home sales then. Um, now, you know, that, it's kind of a different situation there, more of a supply issue. Right. So in the, in the housing market, your new home market, you're, on a seasonally adjusted annual basis, you're going to sell somewhere around four hundred to 500,000 homes is what we're at right now. In the existing home market, which is just your traditional, you know, where you're selling your house, you put a sign out in front, and then you sell it to somebody else, you're gonna, your, your, your numbers are about 10 times that. So this is really where a huge chunk of the action is in the housing market. So I think right now around 4.5 million houses on a seasonally adjusted annual basis are sold in the United States. So again, in the new home market, just like in the new home market, we're seeing relatively large decrease since the financial crisis, since that subprime mortgage bubble, bubble popped in 2006 and 2007. Our existing home sales volumes are way, way down. Now, the problem here is supply. So why is it supply in the existing home market and demand in the new home market? Well, the reason is that the balance sheets of homeowners, when, the, when that subprime bubble burst, were devastated because they bought houses at the top of the bubble. Those house prices then declined. Now they have negative equity in their houses. And while that negative equity has been declining over the last few years, there's still a large share of American homeowners who do have negative equity, which stops them from listing their homes because doing so and then selling it would require them to recognize a loss. Yeah, no, uh, definitely, definitely a, a, a significant <coughs> issue. And, uh, uh, you know, the housing market, of course, is a huge, as you've noted, a huge economic driver for the United States. So it's one we're going to want to watch very closely uh, moving forward. Um, folks, that's all we've got for you today. Um, thanks for listening, watching to Where the Money Is. want you to, uh, to direct your attention. We'll have Where the Money Is tomorrow and every day this week. Um, so please feel free to check us out. Uh, turn back to fool.com uh, for all of your financials, health care, consumer goods, tech, and other investing needs, and full on. Thanks much, John.